I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch back up after having a week off. We're going to talk about what's going on in Israel at this time between Israelis and Palestinians. We're also going to be talking about what's going on the top of my house right now. And then later on in the pod, we're going to sit down with Dr. Amber Schmidtke, who is going to give us an update on what's going on with the uh, COVID-19, as well as the rollout of the vaccine. So you want to certainly stay tuned for that interview. I'm Reverend Starlett Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of a new podcast, The Raceless Gospel, from Good Faith Media. We're going to talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Season one of The Raceless Gospel has five episodes, five Sundays, if you will. We're going to take you to church each episode. We're going to talk about the sticks and stones, the skin and bones of Christian discipleship through the structure of a church service. And each episode, we're joined by a special guest who will bring a word the Raceless Gospel Podcast, five episodes, all available March 22nd. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlett Thomas. Join us as we march into and beyond race, religion, and politics. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, come rescue me. Oh my gosh. I've got so much noise going on in my house right now. Yeah, take a number. <laughs> I have four kids. You really want to talk to me about noise? I've got 10 roofers on the top of my house. Okay, this might be the one time in history that your house is louder than mine. Well, I don't know. I've met your kids. <laughs> Another roof? What's that about? I know. My gosh, we had this big storm uh, come in a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it was just, it was like a tiny, tiny sliver that went right over Norman, Oklahoma. And it wasn't just Norman. It was like my neighborhood. Uh, but it, it just uh, marked a path all the way through Oklahoma and Arkansas. And uh, once again, we're looking at uh, getting, having to get a new roof. We've lived here in our current home for 14 years, and this is the third new roof that we have put on this house. And as I've said before, you know, I, I um, you know, people who are climate deniers uh, aren't listening to this podcast. They're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> we, we hacked them off a long, a time, long ago. time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> They're uh, praying for our souls, actually. They are. They are. Mm -hmm. But the weather's changing. I mean, it's just becoming, mm -hmm. uh, it's becoming more intense. These storms are becoming uh, larger. The hell is larger. I mean, they were talking about uh, in Texas, uh, which was part of the same storm system that went through Texas, they were talking about like Goliath-sized uh, hell. I mean, anytime you use the word Goliath to describe hell, that's some big hell. <laughs> so, it's a headache. For yeah, sure. I mean, going through a roof. I mean, can you imagine a stone falling from the sky? I mean, th these are little ice meteors, is what they are. Mm -hmm. Little ice meteors that are falling from mm -hmm. the sky. So. I've never seen anything like what you all experienced. I mean, people had every window in their house knocked out. Yeah. People had every window in their cars knocked out, which I'm sorry, but if you live in Oklahoma and you're not parking in a garage, what are you doing? Like, clear the junk out. <laughs> not trying to victim you know, blame, but you know, I that, mean. That's always been fascinating to me growing up in Oklahoma. We're living in Tornado Alley, and I could I literally look down my street. And I would say about 70% of the houses, all the cars are parked outside. It's like, what are you doing? It's spring in Oklahoma. <laughs> Yeah, undercover. Come on. 
Yeah, well, exactly. I'm sorry about your roof. I'm thankful that you're getting a new one. Hopefully insurance came through for you on that. They did. Uh, I'm going to be paying for it next year with my premiums, but uh, they did. Uh, paid for a new roof. Uh, we had some other damage. Didn't have any windows broken out, thank goodness, uh, but a lot of uh, garage door damage. Uh, you know, one of the big scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. There's certainly a lot of worse things going on in the world. I think about our dear friends in India who are suffering under the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and just uh, so many thousands of people who are losing their lives, who are sick. Uh, and then also what's going on in Israel. Uh, oh, you've been catching up on what that? Heartbreaking. Yeah, I'm confused by it. And I know it's history <laughs> precedes me. And, mm. you know, most of my ancestors, like, I don't really understand all the conflict that's there, but I know children are being killed and I'm just very against that. Right. Well, it's all about land. Uh, it's about yeah. land and, and power. Holy land. Yeah, holy land and, and power. I've, I've never, I mean, I understand the biblical uh, connotations uh, with that uh, sloth of land, or, or I don't know what you'd, not a sloth of land, but uh, sliver of Swath? land. Swath, sliver, because it's tiny. I mean, it's mm -hmm. no bigger than New Jersey, I think. Um, and historically, it certainly has very important um, uh, it was a very important asset, I should to say, to ancient people because it was the only way to move from the Mediterranean if you didn't like going by the sea and you wanted to go by foot from the Mediterranean and the Middle East uh, into uh, North Africa. And Egypt certainly was one of the biggest players in the world at the time. So that was the way to go. Uh, you had to walk okay. through there. Uh, it was called the King's Highway. And so I understand it's significant from historical and economical standpoint. But, you know, I've, I've looked these days and we now have boats, we have airplanes, <laughs> we have, you know, vehicles uh, that make travel a, a lot easier. And so then it becomes a religious uh, issue and, and a historical issue from, you know, who, who has um, the rights to that land. And mm -hmm. this has been going on for centuries upon centuries. Um, you know, I, even even when I teach the story about Abraham, uh, who is the uh, the father of all three great faiths, uh, Christianity. He had many sons. He did. You want to sing the song? Right arm, <laughs> left arm. <laughs> you're welcome, everybody who's listening in this car right now, because we know you're singing that song, and you're. Uh, and the, you will be the for person the rest in this. Of the, day. the person in this, the car next to you is looking at you like you're crazy. <laughs> Uh, uh, but the father of uh, all three faiths, uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity, um, when he came into uh, Palestine, as it was called at the time, he was a foreigner. I mean, he was uh, from the land of Ur, where his father resided, uh, which, uh, is near, uh, which is in Iraq, uh, near Baghdad. He came in, and when he came, you know, he, he and his, his, when his dad died, uh, there in northern the northern part of Israel, just outside of Israel, actually, uh, he had to make a decision whether he was going to continue on this journey into Palestine to find new lands uh, to reside in or to return back to Ur. He decides to continue the journey his dad set on, goes into Palestine, and immediately goes right through it to, to Egypt, where there's all the debacle about uh, him lying to the Pharaoh that uh, his wife was actually a sister and blah, 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 and crazy things ensue after that. But if you think about it, uh, I mean, he's a foreigner going into this land that was occupied and, and you know, cared for by people groups. 
Uh, and so he goes in. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> over, hmm. so, We've never so, seen that story before, have so, we there, Native exactly. American bitch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, golly, it feels, it feels a little familiar. <laughs> but he goes in and, and lives among them. And it, it ends up being a great story, but then he begins to purchase land. And, and then there is this this notion that God has told him that this was going to be his land and it's promised to him. And a lot, of, a lot of times we have to remember that the Bible was not dictated as events were happening, but was written in a reflective way. So somebody's trying to interpret what occurred already. So at any rate, uh, if you start to think about it, you know, all three of these faiths, uh, Islam, uh, Jews, and Christians, they are all really existing within a land that, as far as ancient history is concerned, is really not theirs at all, but they keep fighting over it. Uh, and what's happening currently, there's certainly a lot of tension going on between the Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, the Israelis are trying to move Palestinians out of their home and relocate them uh, in Gaza. The Palestinians obviously are not wanting to go. Um, and, of course, Israel is, is saying that uh, groups like Hamas are in there, and the fighting has begun to escalate. People are dying. Children are dying. And it's, it's a complete catastrophe at this point, and I'm afraid that it's going to continue to escalate. A lot of critics of uh, the uh, Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, blame him specifically for this latest escalation because uh, a couple of weeks ago he was unable to form a government. Uh, so a lot of times when Netanyahu, he, who is a right-wing fundamentalist Zionist, um, I mean, and there's just really no other way to describe him, uh, when things don't go his way, all of a sudden this escalation of tension always develops and leads to uh, fighting, and then everybody stops talking about his failures as a leader and start talking about what's going on uh, with, with the fighting. Uh, and a little, little known fact about Netanyahu I want to share. James Baker, who was the Secretary of State for President Reagan, um, I heard him speak down in Dallas, Texas one time, and he had just released a book. It's a wonderful book detailing his time in the Reagan presidency. He said there was only one individual that he ever barred from the State Department. And I'll give you one guess who it was. Netanyahu? It was Netanyahu. Hmm. Did he give Baker, a reason? He said he was, he was a radical. He said he was an absolute hmm. radical and could not see any benefit at all talking to Palestinians because he did not see them as human beings. Hmm. And so, um, I mean, this is the Secretary of State from an iconic presidency, conservative presidency in Ronald Reagan, saying this about Benjamin Netanyahu. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. And, you know, yes, you know, there's, there's blame on both sides, but let's put this in focus. Uh, the Israelis are trying to push out Palestinians, uh, and they're trying to take over land. Um, and, and, and Netanyahu seems to be behind it. And mm. this is, a, again, let us pray for peace. Let us pray for a ceasefire and that people would get back to the negotiating table to talk about a, fu a, a future that is filled with peace and prosperity for both Palestinians and Israelis. Amen.
Well, Autumn, you and I had the distinct pleasure of sitting down and talking once again to our good friend, Dr. Amber Schmidtke. Uh, she just really shed some great light on what's going on with the current pandemic. A uh, lot of good news uh, here in the United States, not so good news globally in some hotspots like India. And Dr. Schmidtke talks about those and addresses uh, those. But the bulk of our interview with Dr. Schmicky is about the vaccine. And so it was really exciting news. What'd you think about our time with her? I'm always encouraged when we talk to Dr. Schmidtke. Um, she gives great uh, fiction book recommendations. And so <laughs> I keep adding them to my wish list. Uh, the Murmur of Bees was one she recommended last time she was on the show and I read it and it was just beautiful. Um, but I also am always encouraged by her hopeful sort of outlook. Mm -hmm. I love the news that she had about um, the safety of the vaccine for children. As you know, today we can start vaccinating our 12 to 15 year olds. And we're thinking by late fall that all of our little babies will be able to be covered and vaccinated. And, you know, she approaches her job from, you know, from faith, from a mom's heart. And I just, I really enjoyed it. If you have if you're a parent, I um, really encourage you to spend some time in the second part of this podcast episode. Yeah. And a scientist. I mean, you uh, know, oh, yeah. she can't, I mean, she can be all three. She can be a person of faith, mm -hmm. a mom, a wife, and a scientist Four. I just listed four, uh, but she can be all, it's, and she's, yeah. she's just wonderful. And for those of you who are thinking about turning off this podcast, don't, because we talk in this interview about the vaccine possibly being the mark of the beast. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> uh, so stay tuned as Autumn and I sit down with Dr. Amber Schmicky. Discovering Wholeness is a new podcast from Good Faith Media for healing trauma, for unearthing self. Because trauma is so pervasive in our communities, it comes into our spiritual spaces our churches. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering yes. how trauma is expressed in religious communities. My experience of, of sitting in the, the pain, the shame, and the terror at times with some of the people that I have um, sat with that have experienced that judgment, but to the degree of those kinds of really strong words like abomination and you're going to hell. And it's so heart-wrenching. I'm Kendall Rothis, an author, feminist theologian, ordained minister, and spiritual director. Join me and my colleagues, Kendra Frazier and Jillian Drader, as we gather each week to discuss trauma and spirituality to stay grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing. Join us and learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and we've got a very special guest with us. She's actually a returning guest. Dr. Amber Schmidtke has been with uh, us before on numerous occasions. She is an epidemiologist and currently volunteers on the Georgia COVID-19 Data State Task Force. She's also worked at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and she is an incredible asset to our podcast. So Dr. Schmidtke, welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. 
Hey guys, it's so great to be with you again. I'm a repeater, which I'm excited for. <laughs> yes, right. it's it's a very small list of people who get to come back and don't upset too many listeners. So one more, and you get a, one more, and you get a T-shirt. It's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> so while you know, top of the show, can you give us an update on COVID nineteen infections and deaths? The numbers seem to be trending down. They are, which is really exciting. Um, you know, if there was any question about whether these vaccines work, uh, we are seeing it in the data. And it's it's it, it's an exciting day virtually every time I open the dashboards, right? Because we're seeing, I, you know, I mostly cover Georgia, but even on a national level, we're seeing cases start to drop. Um, we're definitely seeing deaths drop and stay low. We've sort of been in this noisy plateau since the winter surge where everything came down and things are bouncing around here and there, but they're low, which is great. And as vaccine eligibility has expanded to younger populations, we're just going to expect to see that those numbers continue to trend downward. In fact, like for Georgia, last week we had the third lowest case total for a week that we've had ever in the pandemic. Remember that, wow. you know, we had to get going <laughs> to get mm -hmm. into the pandemic. And so if we're, the, it's the third highest, um, we've really come down a long way, which is really exciting. Now we're gonna talk a majority, we're gonna spend a majority of our time talking about what's happening here in the United States. But there's been something, there's been a rise recently in India that has kind of shaken the world to, to remind us that this pandemic, while there's a lot of good trending going on uh, here in this country and other countries, there, this pandemic is not over. I mean, India is currently reporting over 300,000 cases a day and almost 4,000 deaths daily. So while there's a lot of good news that we're going to get to, what should this remind us of? How can we stay, do we need to stay diligent to continue to combat COVID-19 globally? Yeah, absolutely. So to put that 4,000 deaths daily in perspective, the United States recorded just about 4,000 deaths last week as a total. Um, so we're, they're seeing seven times as much death as we are um, at this current time. And so that is it's it's a lot and it's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, there's a tendency when you hear numbers um, to just sort of remove the human toll of that. Um, and I think that this is an important reminder that, you know, public health isn't just American health. Um, and uh, the pandemic, that pan piece means all of us. And so the pandemic doesn't end when you get vaccinated. It doesn't end when our country reaches herd immunity. It reaches, we reach the end when everybody is safe from COVID-19. So um, we have a lot of work to do yet. Absolutely. And part of that work is recently, I think just yesterday, the FDA cleared the way for Pfizer vaccine for um, adolescents from 12 to 15. What do you think this means for schools? Um, and then I have a part two when you're done with that part. Sure. I'm really excited for this. I have a son that's about to turn 12. Um, it will be a huge relief for us um, to get him vaccinated. And my younger son will hopefully be just a little bit behind there. Um, I think that it's incredibly important for summer camps, for uh, return to school. What we've seen in Michigan um, in this sort of spring blip surge thing that they've had is that it's a lot of transmission happening among that 12 to 17 year group, um, especially associated with high school and junior high school 
sports. And so, so those kids that are in close proximity, sometimes traveling together um, is where a lot of this is happening. And so what anything we can do to protect those kids, um, you know, is, is in all of our interests. But of course, um, as we continue to vaccinate younger and younger people, um, you know, for most of the pandemic, the bulk of our cases have been coming from 18 to 29 year olds, um, but they're getting vaccinated now too. And so what that's going to mean is there's going to be a shift to that younger group and they're gonna become the primary drivers of the pandemic. So it's important for us to, um, you know, even though their risks are comparatively lower than what we've seen with older adults, it's important to remember that low does not equal zero and they have a lot of life to live and we don't wanna risk things like long COVID or other complications for them. Mm -hmm. That's a great. What was part two? (laughs) So part two is that we have seen some indications that potentially by late fall, November, December, that even younger children will be able to be vaccinated. So do you have guidance for parents of those younger children who may be a little nervous about the vaccines? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, so far, we've had really good data when it comes to um, COVID-19 vaccines, especially Pfizer, when it comes to how effective they are. Um, they seem to show even more effectiveness in or efficacy with that younger, the 12 to 15 group than they did with 18 to 29 year olds. So they're even better for whatever reason among these kids. And their safety profile is excellent so far. They really don't have anything more than those, um, you know, sort of those side effects that we've experienced where you kind of just feel a little yucky for the day afterwards you take a good nap and you kind of get over it um so i'm hopeful that this is going to mean uh that we can all have that deep sigh of relief because i I, for you autumn for me i know for myself for sure this pandemic isn't over until my kids are safe or they're not safe you know and so um I, I was joking with you earlier before we got going that my son is turning 12 in a couple of weeks and happy birthday, kiddo, you're getting a vaccine. And I sound like a bad mom, right? But at the same time, I'm saving his life with this yeah. vaccine. And I, what I will tell the nervous parents is that I would never recommend something for you that I would not be willing to do myself. And I will be vaccinating my children, uh, my nieces and nephews, whoever I can <laughs> uh, get their parents on board with as soon as I possibly can. So good. Now, Dr. Schmidtke, as of yesterday, two, or see, 262 million doses of the vaccine have been given out over this country. 116 million Americans are now fully vaccinated. That means 35.2% of the population is fully vaccinated. Now, when you look at Georgia, the state that you have volunteered uh, and part of the task force there in Georgia, they only have 27.8% of Georgians who are vaccinated. That's an 8% decrease from the national percentage. Can you interpret those numbers for us? Because, you know, Georgia is in such an important state. As Georgia goes, I think so does the South go. Um, is there something there that we're just not getting? Yeah, uh, you know, so I've been volunteering with the data task force, but a lot of my volunteer work right now is working with community organizations, um, business partners, et cetera, to try to get more Georgians vaccinated. And so, you know, for a long time there, Georgia was very slow to respond um, to get their mass vaccination sites up and running. And we were consistently ranked 49th or 50th in the nation when it came to administering those doses. Um, The state has come a very long way. Uh, They're still not ranked in a great way. Um, They're still in the 40s, but they have clawed their way back up um, from that really 
you know, low bar. Um, and so I'm really proud of the work that the vaccinators have been doing in the state of Georgia. It's obviously a huge lift. Um, but what we're seeing is sort of a combined issue of difficulty with accessing vaccines for certain segments of the population. And then, of course, we've got, um, you know, that wait and see crowd, the people that just want to feel a little bit more comfortable about the vaccine before they fully engage. And then we've got people that are resistant to the vaccine. And so the combination of those three things, I think, is what's really holding Georgia back right now. So what are you hearing on the ground as far as reasons people are hesitating to get the vaccine? It seems like a no-brainer, but there is a significant number. One in four Americans claim they are not going to get the vaccine. So what's going on? So there's unfortunately, so there's, I, first of all, I want to say that everybody has the right to have questions, right? And I want people to have the opportunity to ask those questions and get meaningful answers from someone they trust who is experienced in this area. Um, and I see a mixture of, a, of two big things. There are questions that make a lot of sense to me. And then there are questions that somebody else kind of planted the seed for that person. And it's, they've allowed themselves to kind of wrapped up in something that isn't actually true. So the misinformation. Could it, could it be Satan? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. We need a church lady moment. <laughs> well, no joke. I called Mitch um, a couple weeks ago because I, you know, in part of my volunteer work, something that was interesting was I was getting calls from people in three different parts of the country right around the same time saying, you know, I am not getting this vaccine because I have heard from my pastor that this is the mark of the beast. And so I was like, whoa, this is, I'm a scientist, right? And I, I grew up in the Presbyterian church and I, you know, I've followed the teachings and everything else like that. And I was, I was, I found myself in a place where I was like, I need to speak to somebody because this is, <laughs> this, is this is outside my scope. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and when, you like thought, when you thought Mark of the Beast, obviously you thought Mitch. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I popped right in there. Boy, you made that connection, Autumn. Well done. <laughs> no, but you know, when we're trying to think about how are we going to reach out to people, you know, and knowing that the work that you guys do here with communications and, um, you know, engaging people that, um, in ways that aren't necessarily confrontational, but you know that we want to try to engage them to come into this 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 good thing that we're doing. Um, it just seemed like a, a good person. Mitch seemed like a great person to reach out to. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, that was you just said something that I think is extremely important for those people out there who are hesitant to get the vaccine uh, and have honest concerns about it medically uh, for them personally. I think what you said is just outstanding, that we need to answer those questions because, you know, people you know, do have questions and, and, and if they do have concerns uh, putting a vaccine in their body, even though I may think it's safe and secure and I choose early on to get the vaccine, there's some people who, you know, have these honest concerns about it. So let's get them the information. Let's educate them. And then also these questions about theology and individuals who are you know, making this decision based upon a, a certain interpretation of the Bible. What I would suggest to them, as uh, Dr. Schmicki and I talked about in that phone call, was to get uh, information from other sources, because as genuine as your pastor may be in their interpretation and application of the biblical text— there are other ways of looking at those texts that uh, when we talk about eschatology and the end times, that uh, there, there are other ways of, of understanding that and that this mark of the beast 
isn't necessarily this uh, this vaccine, uh, but it's been interpreted throughout history as other items. I can remember when I was a kid and the, the government was requiring people to get a social security number. I can remember pastors saying, this is, the, this is the mark of the beast. This is the mark of the beast. And it seems as though that's secular when it comes to- And in the 90s, it was, it was a credit card. Yeah. I remember having family members who were putting the fun in fundamental and fundamentalist, <laughs> and they were very anti-credit cards because that was the mark of the beast. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So either way, whether it's medical or theological, you know, we just really want to encourage people to get more information, get uh, additional sources, because what you're hearing may not be exactly what, you know, the truth is. And uh, bottom line is, I think it's safe and secure. I think it uh, the vaccine is our best path forward to herd immunity and to, you know, get back to some sense of normalcy uh, in the future. So I appreciate what you said. Thank you, Dr. Schmicky. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of us who have been vaccinated, let's talk about COVID boosters. Uh, that always sounds fun to me if you're going to get a booster. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, could you tell us a little bit more what that might look like and who will need to get them and when? So we don't know for sure that we're going to need these yet, but they're in development now for, you know, just in case, which is really important. Um, and so what's going on here is especially the Pfizer and Moderna companies are going ahead and um, sort of making a new version of their vaccines that take into account the unique mutations that exist mm -hmm. in the, the, the variants that are circulating around the, around the world. Um, so far, for most of these variants, we are not seeing any real detriments, um, you know, where the vaccine doesn't provide adequate protection against them. But it's sort of that less prepare for the worst case scenario. Um, and so that we're ready if that time comes. And so what this would look like is you just get one dose, most likely, of either of those manufacturers. And it's possible that other pharmaceutical companies will come online with this, too. Um, and it's really just meant to be a reminder for your immune system and provide cross protection against those variants should they arise in such a way that we're not getting good protection from the existing vaccines. So again, I don't know for sure that we're going to need them. Mm -hmm. I will also say that um, in theory, what it sounds like is that let's say you've got Moderna this time around, it wouldn't matter which manufacturer you got next time. You could pick oh. whichever one is most convenient. Um, there, and, and there's no dosing interval, so they really will be interchangeable um, in the sense that you can you can get whichever one is closest to you at that moment. Good. So you That's don't stay really on brand. good news. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, great. Excellent. So when we talked earlier this year, um, when these vaccines were just starting to sort of come out, you talked about the near miraculous elements of the mRNA technology in this vaccine and its potential impact on things like flu vaccinations and maybe even in HIV AIDS. So are you still feeling hopeful about those and what's going on? I do feel really hopeful still. And, you know, as we were talking about the booster thing, part of the reason why they can do this as quickly as they are is because that mRNA molecule is really easy to generate um, mm -hmm. and you can sort of design it however you want. So if there is a mutation, you code it for that mutation and you plug it into the vaccine and there it goes up. There you go. Um, they're really easy to manufacture. Um, you don't have to grow them up in great big vats of bacteria, for example, um, or yeast. Um, they're really easy to grow and, and, and to, to make many, many copies of. Um, so when it comes to, because of that flexibility in the design, you can really put whatever you want inside of um, that um, lipopolysaccharide molecule that we're, or liposome, excuse me, that we are putting together 
flip it down, um, <laughs> into the vaccine. And so when you think about HIV, this is especially important because when a person is infected with HIV, that virus has a tendency to mutate so rapidly and so widely that what ends up happening is that by a time the time a person develops full-blown AIDS, they don't just have the original HIV strain inside their body. They have millions of different versions of the HIV virus inside of their body because it's mutated so much over time. And so the vaccine that's what's really cool about that is it could be helpful not just for people prior to HIV exposure, but what about after they've been infected with the HIV to sort of ward off that that. Um, mutation capability that can, you know, sort of end run the, the precious uh, immune system that you have left. And so I, I see a lot of potential for something like that. And I think if you look at what Moderna is working on, they've got vaccines in the pipeline for all sorts of diseases that we have never had success in developing a vaccine against. Um, so it could be things like respiratory syncytia virus that affects premature children, especially. Um, and we've never had um, great uh, vaccines or treatments for those kids. And so this would be a huge sigh of relief for those parents as well. Wow. Uh, I chills. It's so exciting. It's so it exciting. is. It really is. Um, of all the bad things that came out of this pandemic, this is one thing that I'm really, really excited about. Mm -hmm. It is really remarkable. All, all of the things that you just shared and things that you shared earlier in our conversations, uh, like you just, you know, you mentioned so much bad has happened with this pandemic, but my goodness, there's some silver linings. Uh, mm -hmm. to this cloud and uh, a lot of good news on the horizon. So, so speaking of the future, um, what's the forecast for the summer? How's your family going to handle things like travel, outdoor activities, family get togethers? I mean, really, here's what I'm asking. Can I go up to, you know, uh, my grandparents' house and shoot fireworks uh, on the fourth with them? Um, so if everybody's vaccinated, yes, absolutely. Um, go have a great time and I'm happy for you. Um, <laughs> if you have a mixed, you know, company sort of situation, obviously kids are probably not vaccinated yet. Um, you know, you still want to have some caution or precautions in place. Um, but for the most part, you can do just about anything you want to do as long as it's outside. Um, <laughs> I would definitely prioritize outdoor stuff. And so for me, um, one of the things that our extended family realized during the pandemic was just how much we mattered to each other. And um, I'm sure many people feel that way. And so this summer, the whole family is Con, or, you know, converging in Colorado and we're going to do a camping trip. Um, and so this is all stuff where everybody's got their own tent, their own, some of us have campers, um, but we're all going to be together. We're all going to spend time outside. All the adults are vaccinated, but because the kids aren't, we just want to have that, that extra layer of protection and everybody loves camping anyway. <laughs> so, um, those are, those are big things. And sure. for our family, we've also, um, like as soon as I walked out of my second dose for the Moderna shot, um, I, I got an email from a resort in Hawaii that was like, come stay with us. And I was like, I should. Uh, <laughs> now that I'm vaccinated, exactly. right? But, but we did book a trip for the fall and um, under the expectation that both of my children will be vaccinated before mm -hmm. we get on an airplane. Um, and I think the schedule is, is looking good that that will happen. Okay. So, well, I mean, again, a lot of positives. I mean, it looks like, you know, school's be, going to be back in session in the fall. Uh, the announcement of the the vaccine for a younger uh, populace of adolescents is, is all good news. Uh, I do have one question for you. And because we're a faith-based organization, a lot of our listeners and supporters are people of faith, uh, church attenders. Um, they're wrestling with the idea of sending their kid off to a camp this summer. Uh, whether mm -hmm. it's a church camp or a mission trip or things like that. Um, what advice do you have for them when it goes to 
these traditional summer activities, but occurring at the at this moment in time? So I think certain things like vacation Bible school can be really successful, um, especially if you can encourage mask wear anytime that you're indoors, because they're already used to it from school. So I really don't think it should be a big deal. Overnight camps are a little bit more of a challenge, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible to be successful. I think that it's important for all of us to remember that in many ways, a lot, a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't changed. When you... Um, when you get together with others, you are assuming the risk tolerance that those other people have and, and incorporating it as your own. So let's say you've been very cautious over the last year, um, but you really want to see these friends and um, they have been maybe a little bit riskier, but not dramatically so. What it means though, is that when you get together with them in an indoor setting in particular, you are assuming the risk that they have. Um, and again, taking that as your own. So I think it's really just important to know well other people that your kids are going to be with um, and to uh, feel comfortable in the risk tolerance that they also have. Um, if you don't feel comfortable with that, then maybe it's a good year to postpone and wait till next year. Um, but I think that, you know, especially as we get more kids vaccinated, um, there's a lot that can be done here. And I think that um, all of us want to give our kids as much normalcy as we can. Um, I would just say, don't rush into this. Um, I think that it's important to, um, just remember that the pandemic is still ongoing and we still have a ways to go before we've vaccinated enough of our population to really, uh, you know, declare mission accomplished on this. So I'm hopeful, though, that we're going to see fully back to normal summer activities next year. Uh, but we may see an abbreviated version of that this year. You know, uh, playing off what you just said, one of the pushbacks that I get from people who uh, are really anti-maskers. Uh, they may have been vaccinated, but the, you know they just don't see the need to, to wear a mask anymore, or practice social distancing. They just want to go right back into the way things were. Is that if I'm vaccinated, why do I still have to wear a mask and practice social distancing? Can you answer that for them? Absolutely. Um, so I totally get it. For the most part, I, I'm 100% with them. Um, wearing a mask or uh, rather getting vaccinated reduces your risk of case having a, a breakthrough case of COVID-19, being hospitalized or dying from COVID-19 by like 99.99%. It's a fantastic technology that we have. Um, but the thing is, those breakthrough cases, as they happen, they only happen because we also still have high case rates in the community. And so the, the idea here is that, yes, you are most people are protected, like I said, to an, an, an insane degree. Um, but there will be certain people that, for whatever reason, um, maybe didn't have as much of a, of a robust immune response to their vaccination, or maybe they didn't complete the vaccination series. Um, and so they're at a little bit higher risk. Um, maybe they're taking a medication that temporarily suppresses their immune system, for example. And so I think that it's important to still sort of be our brother's keeper in this sense and, and still look out for one another. Um, wear those masks when you're indoors. Um, but as we see, the guidance is changing all the time, and especially for the people that have been vaccinated. Um, there's been some criticism of the CDC in the sense that some have said they're being overly cautious, more so than they need to be. But having worked there before, I will say that you really have to target your communications to be sort of um, to hit the middle of the population and to also just there's a tendency to want to just protect and save as many people as you can. And so I understand the tendency to be more on the conservative side of things. Um, but I am encouraged by what we're seeing in the data. Yeah. I, I echo that and, and agree with that 100%, because if we would have been more cautious at the beginning of this pandemic, 
we could have seen more lives saves, saved initially. And, I mean, you're still going to get here, but uh, we certainly could have, have made better strides there at the beginning of the pandemic. So thank you. appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that we've talked about today, what is your more to tell? I knew this was coming and I still didn't prepare as much as I thought I should. Um, I guess um, what I will say is I am really excited for this pandemic to be over, of course. Um, We did not necessarily like develop huge like hobbies out of this. I thought we would with all this free time. Like I did bake bread and and things like that. Um, But, you know, I think it's really interesting how many people have come out of this with really the awareness of, I don't want to do certain things anymore. Or, you know, when they talk about jobs and like, you know, the restaurant industry is really hurting for people right now. And part of it is because people have realized I don't really like making $2 and 13 cents an hour or whatever it might be. And so I think that's really interesting and it's affecting the way that I look at things now too, in terms of how I want to invest my time. So my something more is the post pandemic life is going to be a lot more intentional. And I'm really excited Mm -hmm. for um, honoring the time that I have with my family. They're young. My kids are, you know, young-ish, they're adolescents, but I'm realizing that I don't have that much time left with them. So I am very much prioritizing what I have left. Dr. Amber Schmidtke, thank you so much for joining us at Good Faith Weekly. It's always a delight, and you are welcome back anytime. Thanks, guys. Take care. To our listeners, thank you for uh, tuning in this week. Uh, We wish you the very best and hope uh, that you've had a good week and getting ready for an even better weekend. Until we meet again, just remember, keep living good faith.